So today we're going to be talking about considering one another, thinking about others besides just ourselves. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Since we're kind of jumping right in the middle of a book, I just want to kind of give you some background on what's going on. Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians while he is being in prison. Um, He is writing to them so that they may know the encouragement that they have brought to his own heart and that they may be encouraged by his own faith. Towards the end of chapter 1, Paul speaks of his desire to, to leave this earth. He's done with being in prison. He's done with all the difficulties and strife that he's gone through, and he's ready to be with Christ. However, he recognizes that it would be much better for the believers, even the ones in Philippi, that he continued there, so he was going to stay with them. He then charges them that their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that he would hear reports about their unity together. So in chapter 2, he gives them some specific instructions about, or to this local body about how it is they were to live united in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 2, he asked them to complete his own joy. This is Paul speaking, by having the same love, being in full accord, and having the same mind. Paul is really pushing this concept that the believers in Philippi need to work towards being united. Now, in our society today, individualism is valued very, very high, right? If you have lived long, you have heard this over and over. Don't copy someone else. Be yourself. Be yourself. To submit or to conform to another group for the sake of being united is almost an outrageous idea in our culture today. And as is normally the case, if we're not careful, this type of thinking can permeate the church if we're not willing to keep it in check. Now, what we're not saying is that we want everyone to be uh, little soldiers that kind of march in line and everyone be the same. But what we are saying is that we're going to uh, interact with each other in a certain way that displays unity. We are going to kind of tailor ourselves down in order to be able to work alongside with one another Because we love Christ. So let's go ahead and begin reading our text. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start right at verse 3. It says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's the big idea for today. And what I mean by the big idea, as we think about this later this afternoon or as we're working this week and we think about what was preached on Sunday morning, I want this idea to be bouncing around in your mind. Paul gives the local church at Philippi instructions for attitudes to both be aware of and to emulate amongst themselves in order to be united together. So today, we simply want to just echo what Paul preached generations ago because these concepts still ring very true today. However, before we go any further, I have to be completely honest with you. This is a very hard passage. In just a simple reading, this may be something you've heard before. Maybe this is something that you've memorized. But when you actually get into the concepts that are taught here by Paul, 
This is not something that comes very easy to us at all. And I have to admit, this is not something that was easy for me to study. It's not something that's easy for me to preach. But I ask you to please stay with me and to actually consider your own self when we hear what's preached and decide where you are at. So let's go ahead and look at the first phrase there, verse 3. It says, do nothing from rivalry. Do nothing from rivalry. Or it could be translated another way by saying, do nothing from selfish ambition. Paul, remember, is preaching to the Philippians to be united, to work on being united together. And he warns them right off the bat that selfishness is going to be the enemy of unity. Right? Have you thought about selfishness lately? When we think about selfishness, what do we usually compare it to? It's something that our kids are guilty of, right? It's something that we parents all the time are communicating to our kids. Don't be selfish. Share, right? We've said this probably over and over and over again as we hear our kids, for some reason, fighting over the same toy, even there's a million in their bedroom. Inevitably, right now, over at Integrity Kids, there are two kids, probably one of them is mine, no doubt, fighting over some toy that's crammed in some corner, and they're yelling, and there's going to be this wonderful, sweet, kind volunteer that's going to go to them and stop them, and then she's going to pursue their hearts. And she's going to say, now, why are you being selfish? Why are you acting this way? That's probably not how it's going to happen at all. But you understand the idea, right? This is the crime of selfishness or the sin of selfishness is something that we've kind of relegated to something that just kids do. That's how we always illustrate it. However, that's not very true. Ask yourself, when was the last time you whispered to yourself or you spoke to yourself, don't be selfish? You're being consumed by yourself. You're only concerned with what you want. Don't be selfish. It's not something we like to hear. In fact, as adults, when anyone communicates this truth to us and they say, don't be selfish, what's our immediate reaction? We, we want to put our fist up and fight, right? It's, it's time to, you are accusing me of loving myself. And that's just very true. And I don't want to admit it, right? The idea of selfishness is, in this text is kind of cornering yourself, backing yourself into a corner and being willing to go to war with whoever or whatever is in front of you and being okay with the outcome. We must realize that we fight, or at least we should be fighting, the sin of selfishness perhaps more than anything else. It courses through our very being, and if we are not careful, it will sit as the initiator of all our motives. Selfishness is so dangerous because we are so inclined to fulfill that lust that we have. Understand, selfishness is very much condemned in Scripture. This is not something that's okay. In Galatians 5, verse 20 through 21, Paul is listing out a list of things that are acts of the flesh. We'll pick up reading in verse 20. It says, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, or Selfishness, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to get an idea of just how serious God's word takes selfishness, look at this verse. He says that people whose lives are characterized by these actions will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And if that's not enough, just look at the list that it's included with, right? Idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, orgies. All these things are horrible sins that we would never partake of. But selfishness is included in there, strife. Have you ever considered the ways that we are selfish on a regular basis? And I say we because when I formulated this list, I pretty much just kind of wrote down what I do on a regular basis. So I'm hoping that it's not just me, right? Some of you are going to identify with this also. But how are we selfish in our own time? Aren't we very selfish with our own time? We're not willing to give up our time for anyone. We are so focused on making our time most valuable to us that we kind of push everybody else and everything else off to the side. We're not willing to have conversations that maybe we don't really want to have. We avoid talking to people because it's going to cut into my me time, right? There is a Netflix series that needs to be binge-watched, and unless I get home in a timely manner, it's not going to happen, right? We are concerned about what's best for us. (laughs) Maybe perhaps some of you are even thinking right now, like, okay, this is going to be over at this time, so what's the most strategic way to get out of this building so I can avoid conversations to get to the restaurant in time so I don't have to wait, right? Maybe not the nine. That's probably more applicable to the 11 o'clock service. How about in our relationships? Think about the people that you talk to and uh, work with on a regular basis, the people at work, the people at school, maybe your parents, whatever the case may be. Aren't we selfish in the way that we interact with them? We are so wrapped up on getting what is best for us that we're willing to shortchange everyone around us so that we can get what's ours. I heard someone say one time, I love me some me. Can't we all just sometimes be guilty of wearing that t-shirt around? I love me some me. This one's hard, I'm going to be honest. Aren't we selfish in our marriages? My wife's nodding. Right? This happens. I'm not sure where this is at in the Bible. Uh, I probably should, but I know it's in there somewhere. It's probably in between the pages. But it says somewhere that your marriage will expose your selfishness more than anything else in this world. I don't think that's really in there, but you get the idea, right? But when you live with someone in close quarters and you've committed to serving them and loving them, and you're with them day in and day out, eventually, guess what happens? They begin to drive you insane. Even though you love them so much and that day that you married them and you, you, know, you all got all dressed up and you spent way too much money for a one-day event and then you know, you're committed, you're in this thing and you're locked in and then there's that thought, I'm locked into this thing, I can't get away. They're just there all the time. They grate on us. Why is that? It's probably not anything they're doing. It's probably a lot more about what you are. You're selfish. You are so concerned about them not doing what it is that you want. They're not eating where you want to eat. Or if you ask, where do you want to eat? They always respond, I don't know, where do you want to eat? You're selfish. You get frustrated and you get aggravated with people because they do not conform to what you desire. We're selfish with our kids. Guys, we're guilty of this, right? It's been a busy day. We've worked hard. We got up early. We stayed late. We come home. We want to sit in our chairs and kick back and just tune everybody and everything else out. We'll sit there and watch our kids play in the floor for hours by themselves, but we're not willing to give them some time to play with them because 
or selfish. Think about in our willingness to serve others. We're not willing to give up our time for anybody else, right? Think about the attitudes that we have that are selfish. So we talked about some of these actions that we do, things that we can see, but think about the things that we think that are selfish. There's always selfish attitudes that play out into selfish actions. Think about how you feel like you always deserve something that you don't have. You're always trying to keep up with your next door neighbor, right? Get the new truck, get the new car, the new boat, the new fishing rod, the new whatever, the new dress, shoes, whatever it is that ladies get jealous about. I don't know. I'm not one. Uh, But we always feel like there's something that we don't have that we deserve, right? I've put in the time. I've worked hard. How come it is that they have it and I don't? Or perhaps it's a position at work. You're thinking, you know, you're working with this person every day, and you're thinking, how in the world did this person ever get promoted this high? How are they above me? I don't get. They don't have the basic intelligence that's necessary to do their job. I should be where they are. We're selfish even in our attitudes. How about this? And this happens in marriage too. But you are never wrong. But you are always being wrong by everyone else around you. That should be like some red flags going off, right? If we're never, ever wrong and everyone else around us is always wrong, we are simply loving our own motives and loving what we want. Selfishness must be put away and fought against every day by realizing our own selves are most of the time our greatest enemy. Our own selfishness is what we must be fighting. Paul states it very simply. He says, Do nothing from rivalry. Don't do anything out of selfishness. Then he says, the next phrase, he says, do nothing from conceit. Be aware of the motivation to crush others around you in order to elevate yourself. Conceit is excessive pride in oneself, vanity, egotism, narcissism. I hope you are honestly looking at your hearts and seeing how far that we are willing to participate in some of these fleshly acts as long as somehow in the end we come out for the better. By the way, Satan knows this, right? As he tempts us, he is very aware of how willing we are to succumb to our own selfishness. After all, this is one of the very temptations that Satan used in the Garden of Eden to devastate Adam and Eve and the rest of the world for that matter. He told them, don't you want to be wise and be like God? Don't you feel like you're better than you are? He tempted Jesus in the desert while he had been fasting for 30 days and he was weak. He tempted him with, don't you want some bread to make yourself happy, to fill yourself? Don't you want these kingdoms? Don't you want this glory? He tempted Jesus with selfishness. He even tempted Judas Iscariot into betraying Jesus. Judas gave up the king of the earth in order to somehow make himself better off with 30 pieces of silver or somehow come out in the clear. Satan is very aware of this. Don't think he isn't. This is the same temptation that got him evicted from heaven. You see, he became so wrapped up in his own pride and his own self, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to ascend to the hill of the Most High. Oftentimes, Satan does not have to work very hard when he tempts us with our selfishness because we love it. 
The tunnel vision that we have for ourselves is the enemy of holiness, and it is certainly the enemy of unity with Christ. If we desire to be united with our brothers and sisters, if we desire to work together for the cause of Christ, and you think that selfishness is going to have a place there, it's never going to work. So right here, Paul throws out these two negative commands, right? These two hard, difficult commands. Hopefully you're kind of asking yourselves, well, how do I do that? Glad you asked. Paul gives us the answer right here in the second half of verse 3. It says... In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Humility is difficult because it is the very pendulum swing away from selfishness. Rather than loving self, we are to look at ourselves in a real picture of who we are. Humility is the centerpiece of what Paul's commands are in this passage and really the whole chapter. Uh, Paul was very familiar with what humility is. Uh, in 1 Timothy uh, 1.15, Paul speaks with humility as he describes himself as the foremost of sinners, or as other translations refer to it as the chief of sinners. But where does true humility come from? Right? Because in our modern society, we have this false idea of what humility looks like. We call this uh, the humble brag, right? You see this on social media all the time. Like, happy to serve Jesus as I gave my four hours of uh, servanthood this afternoon. Don't love me, love Jesus. But here's a picture of me serving, just in case you forgot, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, we need to like, let everybody know that, hey, I'm being really humble over here, but don't love me. I just need to make an announcement about it. <laughs> be aware this idea of false humility this is just pride and selfishness wearing Sunday clothes it's the same thing we just kind of dress it up and hope everyone accepts it but it's still disgusting and ugly true humility comes from a clear picture of just how magnificent and beautiful Jesus is and at the same time we see just how far short we fall from his glory So if Jesus is up here and he's beautiful and glorious and we're down here and we're bad sinners and we can do nothing without him, the gap in between is the humility we have, right? But the danger here with selfishness is that we're willing to somehow elevate ourselves to try to level out the playing field. And we raise ourselves above where we really should be. Or even more dangerous is that we're willing to bring Christ down to our level and somehow humanize him And we become selfish. We lose this idea of humility. By the way, we're not trying to completely beat you up and have no self-esteem that you can't operate in this world. In fact, true humility does not attack self-worth at all. Rather, it shows us that the only value that we have is in Jesus rather than our own selves. So rather than placing your value in yourself because, look at me, look what I can do, it's rather saying, Look what Christ has done. Look what Christ has done in my life. It's more about what he has done for us. That is where our value is in Jesus. We must be willing to see the strengths and gifts of others while at the same time recognize our own shortcomings. You need to be able to laugh at yourself. You need to be able to recognize that you are not Superman or Supermom, right? There needs to be times where you say, man, I messed up that time. 
I'm just not very good at this. I need some help. I need someone to step in and handle this for me. I need someone to lead me through this because I'm not doing a very good job on my own. Ephesians 5.21, it speaks of submitting to one another out of the reverence we have for Christ. Isn't that hard? We don't want to submit to anybody, much less someone that we rub shoulders with all the time and admit that we have a fault, that we need help. But if we love and respect Christ, we should be willing to put others' concerns and needs ahead of our own. Again, this is a a complete swing in the pendulum, right? A pendulum swings one way and all the way to the other. It's very difficult for us to grasp. If you're at this point in the sermon, if you just kind of glossed over this and you're like, yeah, selfishness, I've heard this before, then most likely you have a problem with being selfish. See, selfishness is one of those things we kind of pack off to the side and we don't want to look at anymore because it's ugly and nasty. And we're willing to just say, yeah, I'm selfish sometimes and never really actually deal with the sin. But if we're going to deal with selfishness, we have to take it head on and be serious about it. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. Then in verse 4, Paul gives another positive response. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Uh, Kurt preached just a couple of weeks ago about loving one another. Um, all of this is going to be an outflow of the love that Christ has given us for each other. And if it's not there, it'll be obvious. You see, this idea of considering others' interests before our own really boils down to service. Based on the truths of this verse, if you are not serving anyone other than yourselves, you are in sin. It is that serious. Serving the body really is a display of the attitude that is in your heart. If you serve with love and commitment, then what is taking place in your heart is very obvious. Hopefully you've seen this before. Hopefully you've seen this at Integrity, where someone is just committed and they love what they're doing. They love that they're able to serve the body, and it just kind of bubbles out of them. And it's very obvious that, man, what these people are doing, they're great at, and they love it, and they do a great job. They love others more than themselves. Now, hopefully not at Integrity, you have seen the opposite of this. You've seen someone who's just kind of disconnected in the way they serve. They're just kind of checking a box to make sure they're serving somewhere, but they're really not doing it out of love. They could care less. They're just trying to put in the time to make sure that no one can accuse them of being selfish. And that's very obvious too, right? We've all seen this. People who just don't really want to be there. They're just trying to fulfill a role. We can't be that. If you refuse to serve at all, we're not talking about those who can't, But if you have time and you refuse to use it, your time is so much more valuable than to be spent serving the body of Christ. I seriously doubt whether you have the mind of Christ that is mentioned in verse 5. But look, let me tell you, if you're going to consider others' interests more than yourselves, find somewhere to serve. Find somebody to serve. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter who, but be serving somebody, right? You should be serving your wife, guys. Wives, you should be serving your husbands. But even more than that, you should find somebody else to be serving. There's plenty of places to serve. Hospitality team, uh, integrity kids, set up and tear down. I'm sure everyone with those teams would love some help. The counting team, wherever it is, if it's not here at the church, serve somebody, right? Find someone that you're going to be intentional about to take your time and sacrifice for their sake. And not just for their sake, but for your own. Right? Humility kind of works backwards that way. It humbles our hearts and it helps us to love others better 
by using love as an action verb. You know, you can just say you love somebody, but if you don't actually do anything about it, then you don't really love them. It's important for us to be serving somewhere. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is crucial to note that the ability to have the mind of Christ or to think and act the way that Christ would is only possible through the redeeming work of Jesus. Without him, we are simply doomed to serve ourselves. You see, if all we are about is serving ourselves, then we are simply carrying on like the world does. There's no difference between us and them. It is vital, it is essential that we have the mind that Christ had while he was on earth and be willing to serve others. Think about his ministry. What did he do the entire time? He went from town to town preaching the gospel, and then he would heal people. He would help people. Did he have to do that to fulfill his role and his plan here? No, but he chose to because he wanted to serve others. So again, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, you're asking yourself, how do I do this? Okay, so I need to humble myself. I need to consider others. I've got that. But Paul gives us an example. And as is Paul's normal uh, way he does things, he lays down the greatest example known to man. Look at what, go, look what happens after verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. This is Jesus who was 100% God, who encapsulated all the value of everything on heaven and earth. He was the most valuable one. And what did he do? Look what he did when he got here on earth. Get this. He made himself nothing. I hope that's challenging to you because Jesus, who was so great, did something that we're not even willing to do. We're already, you know, down here at the bottom, whether we realize it or not, but we try to give ourselves this false idea of worth that we're above something we really are. But Jesus, who was actually worth something, made himself nothing. He emptied himself of all glory and all prestige. The only one who ever had the right to consider himself first. And he made himself nothing. And then he took it a step further. Then he became a servant He voluntarily put himself in the lowest position. And why? Why did he do this? He did this to die unjustly at the hands of sinful and wicked men. Probably one of the most horrific deaths ever. And why did he do it? For all those who might turn and repent because he loved us. He did this to rescue those whom he loved. He did it to serve others' interests above our own. But not only that, look at verse 8 and how it continues. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus died because he loves us and to rescue us from our sins, yes, but he did it for his glory because it pleased the Father. I hope that you were shocked and taken back by the passionate love and display that Christ had for us. You see, Paul kind of sets this up. Hey, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this. And why or how? Because Jesus did and because he did it so well, because he did it so completely. 
You see, Jesus is the zenith of this idea of humility, this idea of service, this idea of considering others before yourself. No one did it better than him. He gives us a high bar to follow, but we must pursue after it. Because he did it for us, we must do it for others. So we've got to take some time to, uh, to digest this passage, right? This is not something that we're going to sit down and eat all up in one sermon. We're going to have to take some bites out of this. So I encourage you to study this more. Read through this passage. Think about your own selfishness, your own pride. Think about how it is you serve others and the attitude you do it with. I can promise you this. The more you study, the more you will become If you're honest, the more you study, the more you will become disgusted with just how self-involved you are and how much energy you spend promoting self. And I can say that because that is exactly what happened to me. When I said this sermon was hard and difficult, I said that because the way it made me feel when I actually had to sit down and study these passages. We have to spend time concerning others, being concerned about others more than ourselves. My prayer is that as we spend time searching out the deep pockets of selfishness that are no doubt hidden in our lives, that we would more and more have the mind of Christ, that we would act and walk like he did while he was on this earth because he considered us before himself. And because he did that, we should consider others before ourselves. Let's pray.